who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth. Morning everyone. Ah, you're so intimidating. <laughs> I'm just uh, kidding. It's great to see all of you. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be asked to return and come back and give a message. And it's awesome to see some faces for a change. Uh, throughout the last two years doing Youth Live, it's always been down the barrel of a camera and that's really strange. Don't know if you've ever just talked to yourself in a mirror for half an hour. It's really odd. Uh, we are really steaming on through in our uh, series in Philippians, and today we're really going to get into some of the meat that Paul's wanting to um, uh, message to this church. Uh, I had some intro, but I reckon let's just start with uh, the Bible reading. I would invite you to stand. Let's stand for the reading today. Our passage comes from 1 Philippians 27. We're going to go through to halfway through chapter 2. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter two. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. I want to encourage you, if you're here in the building today, uh, let's read aloud uh, this passage together. This is the Christ hymn from verse five. If it comes up, if it doesn't, just, if your memory's that good, go for it. <laughs> in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You may take a seat. Now, it's quite a, a decent hunk of, of passage that we've got today, and Generally, the letter to the Philippians that Paul writes, is, it's probably his happiest letter. It's his most like warm. You could almost sense a smile on his face as he reads it. Um, but if there's one thing that Paul would have been incredibly disappointed in and incredibly underwhelmed with is if the readers of this letter didn't jump into action. The very first lines that we read in this passage today is, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's a call to action. 
It's not a call to sit back deeper in your seat, cross your legs, hand on the chin and think about it deeply or ponder it. Paul would be really disappointed. What his encouragement here is today is to jump into the garden, dive into the weeds, get a little dusty, a little grimy and get dirt under the fingernails. That's Paul's invitation to the Philippian church. And I think it's really appropriate that as a church that we are studying Philippians because I genuinely believe, and this is my opinion, if Paul came and hung out with us now for a month, maybe two, I think generally he would have the same tone to this church as the Philippian church. And the general tone is this, pretty good, really well done. This is good, but keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't be content with where you are now. Keep going, keep going, keep going. That is his invitation. And we do that not through sitting back and thinking and being distant, but jumping into the deep end of the pool and trying to swim. So from this passage, if there are two main things, and if you get nothing out of this for the rest of the day, and you only get these two things, remember these. This is really important. When you get back in your car afterwards when you're driving home, you should remember these two things. Harmony and humility. Harmony and humility. Can you say that together? Harmony and humility. There you go, my job is done. (laughs) Paul's, one of his big themes as he writes to a lot of the churches is the unity of the church. Harmony within the church, harmony with ourselves. He bangs on about it in Philippians and he generally does it to a lot of the other churches as well. You might remember significantly, probably the most vivid time that he does this is his letter to the Corinthians, the first one. And he talks about what? The body of Christ being united. He gives a lot of time to that, being united. Paul's big thing, his big theme, be united. So we're gonna talk a little bit about harmony today. Uh, and I wanna dress it up this way. Let's, uh, let's bake a cake today. Right, I got married six months ago. Woo, awesome. But hey, hey, it gets better, it gets better. I married a chef. Woo-hoo-hoo. Oh, wait, it gets even better. It get, believe it or not, it gets better. She's a pastry chef. (laughs) Sweets, treats, cakes, it is awesome. It is doing the job. (laughs) By default now, I know a few things about making a cake. I know that you need dry ingredients. I know know you need wet ingredients. So let's say, let's let's take some flour. Let's take some sugar. Let's take some baking soda. Is that kind of, that sounds like a cake, right? Dry ingredients. Uh, But instead of adding the correct wet ingredients like butter, like milk, maybe vanilla essence if you're fancy. Let's get rid of all of that and replace it with concentrated lemon juice. All right, a little bit strange. That's the good stuff, concentrated lemon juice. Uh, We put it all in a bowl, we mix it all together. Uh, It might come come out looking something like a batter. It would be kind of goopy and wet. We could pour that into a tin. We could put that in the oven, we could get it out. We could put it on the cooling rack, wait till it cools down. We could wrap the thing in icing, uh, and then you could pipe on, happy birthday, Tim, and that would be a gift from someone who didn't like me. Now, it would look like a cake, right? Just looks like a generic cake. You know, you could cut it open, take a slice out. No, yeah, it looks like a cake. You know, with your knife as you cut it, you might cut through and it feels like a cake. Maybe you get some of the crumbs and you rub it between your fingers. Yeah, it feels like a cake. Maybe it might even smell like a cake for the first bit. Maybe the icing's keeping all that lemony goodness uh, stuck in there. Maybe, I don't know if cakes make a sound, but it might even sound like a cake. I'm not too sure, but maybe it would. But what would be the fundamental problem with the cake? 
it would be awful. It would taste bitter, it would taste sour, all because of we put the wrong ingredient in there. Now let's say for a moment that the church is a cake. And let's say instead of harmony being one of the ingredients, let's replace it with disharmony and disunity. For example, a person might come out and stand out in the car park and they would look at our building and they would say, okay, there's an archway there, there's a big green wall there. It looks like a church. They might walk up the steps, uh, get greeted by our welcome team with a big smile, checking with the QR code, and maybe there are some excited kids running off to uh, kids' church and, oh, feels like a church. Maybe the first band has started their song and they're walking to the front door and they can hear the music and they can hear the joy of the children running around and go, cool, sounds like a church. But if we are disunified as a church, it's not going to take very long for that person to come in, sit at the back row for a couple of weeks and realise and they will taste and they will see that there is nothing different in here than what's going on out there. They will taste and they will see that there's nothing different in here than the, po- the political disruption and the political left and right getting further away than what's out there. There'll be nothing different in here than out there than what is the outrage culture and trolling on social media. This is why Paul bangs on about it so much because what is the point of harmony in the church? It is so that we can be a reflection of our God. You know our God, three in one, Father, Son and Spirit, all together in perfect community, in perfect harmony with each other. That is why it is, that's why Paul sees it as so important. And he keeps coming back to the point, keeps coming back to the point. Be at one in spirit and of one mind. Be in one spirit and of one mind. It's because that is so important. The church, we are called to be a city on a hill, salt and light. We lose our saltiness when we start bringing disunity, when we start bringing the bad stuff from culture in here. We are to be bound together by the Spirit. So what is the truth? Now, I will preface all that by saying, thank God and by the grace of God, I don't think we have that problem here. But I think it's interesting that Paul keeps going on about it because I think Paul's thing is, don't get complacent. Don't get complacent. Keep posturing yourself, keep positioning yourself to be at harmony with your church community. So Paul, very graciously, thank you, Paul, gave us three, three ingredients to grow harmony within the church. And let me read them. He says at the start of chapter two, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and of one mind. They're pretty good. I uh, like Eugene Peterson, the way that he puts it, he says, agree with each other, love each other and be deep-spirited friends. We can do that, can't we? It's pretty easy. When, when he says agree with each other, I don't think this means agree with every little detail down to the finite things so we all look like a weird batch of clones or even weirder, like a bunch of people going to Comic-Con dressed as the same thing, walking in sequence like that. I don't go to Comic-Con because stuff like that freaks me out. And I think it would freak other people out as well if that was what the church was like. But I think it's important that we are like-minded in all of the important things that a church needs to have, all of the foundations. We need to know what the mission of God is. We need to agree on what the gospel of God is. And we need to agree and be like-minded and know who Jesus is and know who God is. Know what he's like, because if we're not, the problem is that it begins to start hindering the proclamation of the gospel if we are not unified. And what is the gospel? Good news to the poor, freedom for the oppressed, sight for the blind, healing for the sick, salvation for the lost. 
If our disunity starts causing problems uh, with those five things, we need to deal with it quickly. We need to deal with it quickly. Now, I want to make one more final note. Uh, so that was agree with each other. Love each other, we should get, we should have that down to a T, right? We've been in the game for long enough. We should know what that's like. Don't gossip about each other. Don't slander one another. Don't, you know, be, hold a grudge against people. But that's all pretty simple and generic stuff. I think as a church, we are called to go further. We're called to uh, give the cloak off our back, go the extra mile. And then finally, deep-spirited friends, as Eugene Peterson calls it. Uh, when I was thinking about deep-spirited friends and I was thinking, who in my life would I class as a deep-spirited friend? The common denominator that I found were people who I have full confidence in and trust that whatever I do, whatever I say, they are going to treat me exactly the same at the end. They are not going to be offended. If they disagree with something, they are going to treat me with love. They are going to listen and I them. Be deep-spirited friends. So that's three things with harmony. Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Now, very quick question. Who this week would love to practice your harmony? Show of hands, show of hands. Who would like to practice harmony? Okay, that's most hands in the room, I would say. Very good. That's a good thing. We should be practicing our harmony. It just so happens that tomorrow night we have a church meeting. <laughs> How good. What an opportunity to come here at, was it, 7 o'clock? We're going to sing a, a song of worship. And then what a chance to practice agreeing with each other, loving each other, being deep-spirited friends, not being offended at anything, but listening, practicing our empathy and sympathy, putting others above ourselves. What an opportunity. It's almost as if God had preordained it. <laughs> Amen. So that's harmony. Super important. Paul kept going on about it. I could have kept going on about it, but I only have seven minutes left. I'm going to try and get through this because there's nothing worse than a long sermon. And that's coming from a millennial. <laughs> humility. What does it look like to live a life of humility as a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to live a life of humility as a follower of Jesus? P particular emphasis on follower of Jesus. Could look like sacrifice. Yeah. For me, I think humility looks a lot like a death. I think humility looks a lot like a death. And I just want to read from Paul again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Eugene Peterson says, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. So Tim, why do I think that it looks like a death? Well, I would say to live a humble life, we need to be formed in the image of Jesus. We see in the hymn that Jesus is the perfect image of humility, right? He was of equal status with God, but he chose not to use that to his own advantage. Rather, he, he came down and became a human. Not only that, he became a servant and then he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So as Christians, what do we need to die to? All of us will inevitably face a death, face a physical death, that's inevitable. But I think a really important thing for us today is that we need to die a death to self. I think there are so many things, particularly in the West, that pull us away from who we are, to be made in the image of Christ to form our lives as if we are trying to become him, to be like him. Now, let's say, for example, 
Maybe in your life, money has become a big thing and that is the thing that is uh, upmost in your life. Or maybe it's your career, maybe it's uh, your social status or your ego or uh, your position in life, your reputation. Now, are you going to help lend a hand if an awkward person in the church needs, to, needs help moving house, a desperately seeking relationship, but you're more concerned about your reputation than you are lifting them above yourself? Probably not. You'll be too worried about your reputation to humble yourself, to put others above yourself. It could be the same with money. Will you be inclined to financially help a widow or an orphan if you are so tied to your money? Maybe, but probably not. All of these things that we have put on ourselves, we have called our identity. Even think about it, particularly in the West, what's the first question you ask someone when you meet them? Hi, I'm Tim. What do you do? We've so inherently tied lots of things to our identity that were never meant to be there. Jesus didn't care about his reputation. Jesus didn't care about his career path. Not at all. Rather, he hung out with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, fishermen that would have smelt awful. He didn't care about that because he humbled himself. It's when we heap all of this other stuff into our life that we are going to struggle to proclaim the gospel and the good news, the good news to the poor, the freedom for the oppressed, sight for the blind, healing for the sick and salvation for the lost. We need to die to self. Um, I would love to say that I have never experienced a death, but unfortunately I have experienced a death and I've got some bad news. It's not great. If you think, oh, that sounds great, taking up your cross and following Jesus, it hurts. Dying a death really hurts. When I moved to Melbourne, I was a musician and I studied and I was so committed to my dreams. I was a dreamer. And when I moved to Melbourne, I wanted to become a rock star. My ultimate goal in life was never to uh, call a place home. I would have loved living on the road, playing music overseas, sleeping in the back of vans, hotel rooms. It sounds like some of you would think, oh, gross, but that, is, that was like my ideal life. But what I discovered that actually this stuff, God met me at one point in my life and said, this isn't gonna work. This isn't actually gonna help. This is actually hindering you actually living the life and life to the full that I've promised, the abundant full life, the joy, the hope and the peace, the rest that I offer, this is getting in the way. Tim, you've attached this to your identity. You need to die to self. And I remember the night, it was, it was ugly. There were tears everywhere. And I said, okay, I'm giving it up. And for the next few years, I stripped everything out of my life and I worked two days working as a dish pig in a kitchen just to make rent because I just wanted to see, I just had to see if everything that Jesus said is real and is true, I just have to see it for myself. Is it true? If I give up everything and give it to him, is it true? And I have to say that probably my friends will attest, uh, will say this, but I think they would all say that I'm a completely different person now than I was then. And I'm not going to lie, I may not have experienced the full breadth of God's joy, but I can guarantee that I've never heard a story that it didn't hurt, the death hurt, but what came after was so beautiful. What came after was so fulfilling, was so full of life, was so full of joy, hope, peace and rest. Now I want to share one final story that I think reflects kind of what I've said pretty well. During the last lockdown, I watched an old HBO TV series uh, from 2001, pretty old. It's about World War II called Band of Brothers. Some of you might know it. 
Some of you probably don't. About World War II, it's really, really well made. It's a 10-part series, and you follow Easy Company through, uh, from D-Day through World War II, so from training camp all the way through. It's really clever how it's made because you follow the whole story, but generally in every episode, a little, like one character gets sort of spotlighted a little bit more than the rest. Uh, in one of the early episodes, you meet a private Albert Blythe. And you learn very quickly that he's a little bit different, he's a little bit odd. You first see him and he's uh, standing in the middle of a field and just kind of blankly looking up into the air, not looking at anything, and everyone's like, come on, dude, what are you doing? Get with the, get with the, uh, get with the mission. And you sort of see a bit more, and then you find that he's actually terrified of being at World War II. I don't blame him for that. I'm just, like, I'd hate to be there. I would have hated to have been there myself. But he's always hiding in a foxhole. He's hiding in the back of the house. He's always at the back of his platoon, waiting until it's safe to move forward. And eventually he hits this pinnacle moment where he's in a foxhole on the front line waiting for a German counterattack, and he has a heart-to-heart with his lieutenant. And he confesses to his lieutenant, he says, I am so scared and so petrified being here. The night that we paratrooped into Normandy, I, I didn't pick up my gun. Instead, I found somewhere quiet and I fell asleep. And I woke up the next day when all the fighting had moved on. I haven't even fired my gun since D-Day. Not once. Hasn't fired his gun. And his lieutenant looks at him and says, son, we're all scared. We're all terrified. That's not your problem. Your problem is, is that you are holding so tightly to your life and that's what holds you back. What you need to understand is that you are already dead. It's a matter of time. But once you understand that, you will then become the soldier and you will then be able to fulfill your duties without this fear. And that moment was like a pivot point. Next you see him, it's like something's clicked in his head and he picks up his rifle and he's always at the front of the platoon and he's always putting his hand up for missions. And I think eventually it did cost him his life, but in the process it was like he understood at that time, I'm not here for the sake of me, I'm here sacrificing myself for my country. But it took him understanding that he was already dead. And I think that is so true for Christians. This life that we have is not ours. We need to understand that it is a gift, that we need to die to ourselves, to empty ourselves so that God has a vessel that he can fill with his spirit and empower us to go and proclaim the gospel, to go and share good news for the poor, freedom for the oppressed, sight for the blind, healing for the sick and salvation for the lost. Our harmony reflects the Trinity, three in one, living in perfect unity, perfect harmony. Our humility dying to ourselves, it reflects Jesus in the best way. Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Uh, I'll invite you to stand. Uh, We're just going to take a few minutes just in silence. Uh, But I want to read to you a reflection from Eugene Peterson uh, on this passage. Eugene Peterson says, this week, look for opportunities to help someone get ahead. Pretty straightforward. I think we could all do that. But if and when you do, sense Jesus' companionship in your efforts. Or another way, sense the unity with Christ by the Spirit in your efforts when you do. And when you do, don't brag about it. Don't post about it. Do your giving in secret. Holy Spirit, come.
Holy Spirit, may you speak to us. May you fill us and empower us. May you bring to mind something or someone and charge us, fill us, give us a passion, a drive for your gospel. At this time, maybe the Lord is speaking to you a a task that you should fulfill this week or maybe it's bringing to mind uh, something from the last week. And I wanna say, if it is conviction from the Spirit, hallelujah, amen, the Spirit's doing something amazing in your life, but the Spirit will never, never convict you out of shame, always out of love. The Spirit will only convict um, out of love because maybe there's something in your life that is just the tiniest bit there that is just slightly in the way between you and God and you really stepping into life to the full, the joy that Jesus offers, the hope that Jesus offers. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the words of Paul uh, to a church 2,000 years ago. And thank you for the way it reflects to us. Lord, may you build your church. Build your church, Lord. Here we are, send us. Lord, we thank you for the stories uh, that we've heard this week uh, through community care. Thank you that as a church we are seeing the gospel in action, but Lord, let us not be, let us not be content with that. Lord, empower us by your spirit to go and do more. Fill us with a passion, a charge, a drive to see the ones that you see. We pray all these things by the grace of God. Amen. Let's worship together.